If you will, take your Bible and turn to Hosea 2 again. Hosea 2, we'll finish the chapter tonight. I will tell you that we will probably finish what we're going to do, what we're going to study in Hosea next Sunday morning as we look at chapter 3. We'll not go all the way through 14 chapters. You know, it's, uh, it's easy to get bogged down in a lot of doctrine because there's a lot of great words in this this prophet Hosea. I'd like to go all the way through it, but I feel led that we'll end next week with chapter 3. Hosea chapter 2. This morning, let me just test you. Anybody even remember what the title of the message was this morning? Walking away. Isn't it interesting that in the same chapters as God structures his word, that in one part of it we see her walking away, and in the last part we see God's desire for those who've walked away for the wayward. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Hosea is speaking this, but but God is speaking it to him, and this is what he says. Now remember, before I pick up reading, remember that this morning Gomer was packing her clothes to leave. Now she has left. She has departed the house. The word is, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word and your spirit and your truth will permeate our presence. I pray that this will not be an exercise in futility, but it will be an exercise in worship and praise and edification and understanding and even repentance and, and returning to you. Father, we love you and thank you for giving us the word uh, that we call the Bible. We thank you for giving us the message that we need. And I pray that tonight we will not just approach you lackadaisically, but we'll approach you as to what you have for us 
even tonight. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, magnificent, and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've read this chapter, that last line of that last verse really lets you discover the heart of God, that he wants us, his desire is for us to say, you are my God. You see, the very reason Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus to the earth was to restore us, to recover us to himself so that we can become, in a sense, like Adam and Eve in the garden when before they fell, they said, you are my God. It was in the, it was in the Garden of Eden. It was in the Garden of Eden after mankind, after Adam and Eve fell into sin that God revealed his plan. He didn't create his plan at that point. He revealed his plan to restore us, to redeem us, to save us, to bring bring us to himself. He revealed that plan in the Garden of Eden when he killed the animals and made the skins. When Jesus came on earth in human form, now his divine plan revealed in the Garden of Eden took on human form. And today, we know about that plan. Many people know about that plan in their heads, but somehow it's never made it to their heart. You see, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we become aware of our sinfulness. We become aware of our hopelessness. We become aware of our helplessness. We become aware of our need for deliverance. We, come, we, we become aware of our, of our need that can only be met through Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Jesus, when we trust his forgiveness, when we are made clean, when we are made whole, when we are placed in the family of God, our status in life, your status in life, my status in life goes from being a creation of God to a child of God. Someone in the family, someone born in the family, that's what God wants For each of us. But being in God's family means something. Being in God's family is is, is like being in our earthly family. It means we enjoy spending time together. It means we enjoy doing things together. It means that we enjoy living life together. Some of you are going, whoa, Brother Jerry, you don't know my family. You know, one of the hardest truths for us to get our our heads and our hearts and our hands around in life is that from time to time, we have family members that run away. Hello? This morning is walk away. A lot of times those family members don't walk away. A lot of times they run away. Maybe every... Family in here has been touched by that. But if you have not been touched by that, knock on wood and say a thanks to the Lord. Because it is one of, as a family that's had some, one of ours to, to go astray. It is one of the most painful things you'll ever go through. I think it's worse than a death, not knowing where your family member is when you lay down at night. You see, the truth is, if we, can, if we can get that emotion of a family member going astray, 
leaving the family. If we can, if we can get that emotion, that feeling, and then now superimpose it on this story, it will help us to understand about the heart of God, the heart of Hosea. I'll remind you what you've already heard for three messages now. God came to Hosea in the first chapter, told him to take a wife who was a prostitute. From all accounts, Gomer was a beautiful woman. From all accounts, Hosea genuinely loved Gomer. Now we know that she's gone, hearts broken, lives broken, homes broken, children probably crushed. Now, as the years passed, she probably thought about coming home. But she hadn't. To me, that's an entire message. I wonder how many people in this room, you know your heart is not as hot as it was when you got saved. You know that you don't walk as close to the Father as you did at one time. Now, if this don't fit you, don't try to put the shoes on your feet because it'll hurt. But quite likely in a crowd this size, there's someone here who you remember those days when you're hot. Your heart was so hot for, and passionate for the work and the love and the gospel of God. And it's not that way today. Now, you thought about coming back. You thought about repenting. But, boy, it just costs too much. It hurts too much. And somehow you've not ever done it. That's the situation that we find ourselves right here. Now, if I want to give you a larger picture, if you can hang on to that thought, this is exactly what's happened to the nation of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. God um, refined them in the wilderness. God brought them after the death of Moses. He brought them across the land of promise, across the River Jordan, into the land of promise. Now they've been living there under his protective hands. And the more wealthy they got, the more perverted they got, the more compromised they got, the more they chased other gods and other things. Israel is Gomer. They have gone the other direction. May I just suggest this to you? Could this be the church in America today? Now I'm reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many have read any of Dietrich's works? Whew. He did most of his writing from a German prison. And ultimately he would be killed. And he taught us much about discipleship, about commitment. Would your faith stand up to incarceration because of your faith? Or would you figure a way out of it? I used to ask this question when I was a teenager. If you got accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you? I need to get back to the message. Gomer, Israel, America. I said it this morning. Gomer said, I do. What she really meant was, I will when I want to. Israel done the same thing with Jehovah God. As we get close to our get close to our scripture, here's what I want you to know about Israel. Here's what I want you to know about, about even America. They had compromised themselves. In large measure, we have. They had committed spiritual adultery. That's why you see all the signs of of this sexual immorality. And now here we are faced with someone who's gone astray. I just want to ask you a question. Since Since I have laid it out here 
that it could be the church in America, just like the Israel nation, who has abandoned God. Let me ask you this question. If we were to ask God, not you or me, if we were to ask God, would he consider us today his children in full fellowship? Or would he consider us prodigals? Would he consider us in the household taking care of the things that he's called us to do? Or would he consider us having run away? I mean, he says, you want, I, I want to be first. So think about, your, think about your schedule. Think about your priorities. Think about your checkbook. Think about your time. Think about your energy. Think about even your vacation. Where is God in your life? The message that we're about to get to, and I won't get there, is for anyone who has ever or will ever or might ever go wayward. God has a desire. You know what it is? He wants to bring us home. Now, from our text, from our text, I want to suggest two major things that God desires for you and me, for Gomer, for America, for Israel, when we go wayward. First thing is God desires reunion. God desires reunion. We kind of like the sound of that. I mean, you say, Brother Jerry, you get that from here? We'll just keep your Bibles open. We're just going to kind of walk down and see what, what he desires. Watch. I love this. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, now she's in the foreign country. She's gone away. Behold, I will allure her. I will attract her. Most of the better translations use the word allure. But I think it is the Jewish translation that used the word woo. I'm going to woo her. And a paraphrase says I'm going to win her back. Dr. Peterson in the message says I'm going to start all over again. What a picture. Just a, I'm, going to, I'm going to give her reason to come home. What a picture. We all like reunions. Now, I understand that reunions, family reunions, have their own idiosyncrasies. You got, you got that little aunt that'll come up and just pinch your cheek and go, it's so good to see you. And you go, why did I come here and put myself through this? You don't know what I'm talking about? I do. The truth is, the truth is we love those reunions because we're getting back together with people we have a history with, people that we're kind of comfortable with. God says, I'm going to allure her back. And verse 14 and 15 kind of builds on this reunion. Now, what is he going to do? I'm going to suggest to you that he needs, he's going to, he's going to mention four things that, he, that he's putting in place to create this reunion. First of all, it's going to be a place, a place. Watch this in verse 14. He says, I'll lure her and watch where he'll bring her. And I will bring her into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness may not seem like a place to you that would really woo you or really draw you or really call you. But, but when God uses the term wilderness in the Jewish culture, it, has a, it says something strong. It has something powerful. It has a big meaning. For the Jewish people, when they, when they would think of the wilderness, their mind would go back to the Exodus, the people in the Exodus. 
and, and how uh, they came across the wilderness, and how when they came and they disobeyed God, God sent them back into the wilderness. Many of them died, but here's, what, here's the point. He, prov- he provided and met every need they had in the wilderness. Forty years, there were a lot of deaths, but nobody died from starvation. He provided manna. He provided meat. He provided drink. He provided water. He provided everything they need. As they traveled through the wilderness, he put a cloud up there in the day, and he put fire up there at night so they could know that he was there. They knew that in the wilderness that God would be there with us. And here's the deal. He wanted to bring them to the place in the wilderness where their voice, his voice, was the only voice they would hear. You want to know where God wants to bring you tonight? He wants to bring you spiritually tonight where his voice is the only voice you hear. He has a place. The second thing there has a plan. And that plan has to do with speaking to you. Look, stay right there in verse 14. He says, I'll allure her. He wants reunion and bring her into the wilderness, a place. And here's what he wants to do. Speak tenderly to the wayward mate. Wow. You see, folks, he wants to put us in a place. He wants, he wants us to enjoy reunion. He brings us to the place that we only hear his voice. He can speak Like thunder, he can speak in the fire, he can speak in the earthquake, he can speak in the lightning, he can speak in the rain, he can speak in the catastrophe. But you know what he prefers to do? He prefers to speak tenderly in a still, small voice. This makes perfect sense if you think about it. Ladies, you're the ones that we men woo. I understand that's, a, that's not a politically correct statement, but throughout history, the way God wired us is the man goes and woos his woman. What is more alluring to you? A shout? Or, hey, baby, a tender voice. You see, God wants to speak to us in a tender voice, but he's got to get us to that place where the only voice that we can hear it's his. Then he will speak to us. So you have, the, you have the place that he speaks of. You have the plan that he speaks of. And then, guess what? He is a suitor bringing actually presents. I'm going to say a present. But it actually speaks of two presents here. He's so set on bringing her back that he gives her gifts. And watch this in verse 15. And there, where? In that place where I'm speaking tenderly, there I will give her her vineyards. Now look at this prophetically, and then we'll make it more personally. The nation of Israel was about to go back into captivity where it spent 400 years in Egypt. It was about to go back into captivity under the hands of the Assyrians. And what he's saying is that in that day, When I speak and connect and we're reunited, and that day I'll bring you back into your land. And you know what he's promising them? He's promising them peace and prosperity back there. 
He says, I'm going to give you a vineyard back. I'm going to give you a land back. I'm going to give you productivity back. I'm going to give you life back when you come to me. But that's not all. The second present is right below it. It says, it says and make the valley of Achor a valley of hope. Now, the valley of Achor, please listen. This, this is a powerful picture to these folks. The valley of Achor is that place where Achan committed his sin. It is in the valley of Achor where God brought judgment on Achan and his entire family. What God is saying to him, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give you your vineyards back and those places where you have trouble, where you have disappointment, where you have sin. I'm going to make them a doorway of hope for you. In other words, your troubles are going to be able to help someone else. Did you know that's a biblical principle? When Paul wrote on Wednesday night, we're reading through uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're almost through. But did you realize that when Paul wrote this second letter to Corinthians, you realize he said that, that God is going to take your troubles that you have and make them an opportunity for you? Watch this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When troubles come, God's going to take your troubles and He's going to make it a trophy. He's going to give you a, 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 a springboard. To help somebody else. Whatever you do in your life, whatever trouble comes your way, don't say, oh me, say, God, what's next? And how can this be used? Because God wants to take our troubles and help somebody with them. That's his desire for the wayward. God was wooing Gomer. God was wooing Israel. God's wooing us back. But there's one other thing that has to happen that I see here, and I'm simply going to call it a passion. A passion. Watch back to the Scripture. He says, And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. Have you ever noticed the longer you're married and the older you get, the more harsh and rough your words become. Hello? All right. Did I put everybody out right there? Have you ever noticed that? When you're young and you're dating, you just can't speak enough words of sweet expressions to that one you think you want to live your life with. And then you get a little older, and if you want them to know you love them, Or if you want them to know that your love's changed, you'll tell them, and they ought to know because you told them you loved them when you got married or sometime right after. He wants wants us to speak like we were. You know, it's it's the thing. He says, except you become like little children. Except you become like little children. He wants us to speak as in the days of our youth. What is more alluring than watching? You know, I'm a people watcher. You watch young people. As those relationships begin to bud and bloom and blossom, they can't speak enough sweet nothings into each other's ear. Last time I told Deborah to speak some sweet nothings into my ears, she went, 
Hershey's chocolate. You know what the truth is? You know what the truth is? Our Lord wants us to have that kind of relationship with Him. When we're young, we send flowers. We we um, lavish attention. We we buy uh, cards and give words, and they flow so freely. He is saying, you know, this is how I want you to address. Want to come back to me with a little bit of passion? The series we're about to take them into into captivity. Now watch. Watch this. He's reminding them. And here, verse 15, and and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of captivity. You know what story had been passed down all through the generations of the Jewish people? Here's what it was. We remember. Remember those days when we were in captivity. Remember how harsh captivity was. And remember that God heard our prayer. What God is trying to do here, he's trying to, to, to well, um, get the wheel, the motors going so that, peop- so that these people would come to him in repentance like a child, in, in prayer like a child, asking him for help like a child, loving him like a child. Because, you see, God desires reunion. We are not going to be able to get up and demand anything of God. We request of Him because truly, we're not worthy. That's a hard sell in American culture today. I hear so much on TV that it just runs me crazy. Get the car you deserve. Get the computer you deserve. Get the woman you deserve. Get the man you deserve. Listen, I, I told somebody a long time ago, I don't want what I deserve. Hello? We get what we deserve. We get hell. If we get grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. If we get mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. He wants us to be reunited with him like they were trying to bring Gomer home. The second thing he wants, he desires restoration. Restoration. You see, the work of God through Jesus is nothing less than restoration. And when you restore something, you put something in the original condition. That's what God desires for us to be. He desires for us to be restored into the character of the original Adam and Eve. And some people go, I don't think we can do that. Well, like it or not, that's his desire. He wants us, he wants us to do like them. Watch this. Here's some of the things that is the character of Adam and Eve that he wants for us. Watch this. He wants us to recognize his voice. He wants us... To know his heart. He wants us to look forward to walking with him in the cool of the day. This isn't brain surgery and this isn't perfection. He wants us to have the same affection for our Savior, for our Creator, as Adam and Eve had. It's a a work of restoration. Verse 16 reminds me of this. When it says, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bells. You see, he wants us to have a renewed and restored relationship with him. So this, are you ready? It's just like when you said I do to your husband or wife, so that, they will, so that he will be our one and only. Our one and only. He wants to restore us 
Now, I'm just going to just run through this quickly just to give you some of the things that have to happen if we're going to be restored. It's all right here in the text. First of all, if in reality he's going to become our one and only, if we're going to leave where we are and come back to him and be restored to him, first thing, some things have to be removed. Some things just simply have to be removed. If you're going to restore a right relationship with the Father, there are some things you're going to have to put down, put away, put to death. Look at verse 17. He says, For I will remove the names of the bells from her, ma- <coughs> excuse me, from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. You see, God wants to remove from even our vocabulary the names of those things that pull us away from Him. Sports, job, family. Church, city, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that's pulling us away from him, he wants to remove those names. Now, let me just, I was thinking about this. And for some of you, this is going to be too personal of an of a illustration, but I was thinking about how to really illustrate this. Follow along and hear the illustration. Suppose that your spouse has an affair, commits adultery. With another person. And just suppose that they came repentant, and after all the hurt and the anger and the distrust and the frustration and the fighting and the counseling, just suppose that you restored your relationship. You were going to make a go of it. That's pretty good stuff. But now suppose. That after a little time's passed, in conversation, every now and then, your spouse brings up the name of that person that they had an affair with. <sighs> Is it fair to say that it would light your fire? Is it fair to say that you would get angry? Is it fair to say that you would, the reason that you would get angry is because you would believe that something must be going on again if they're brave enough to bring that name up. Now then, take that illustration and superimpose it on your relationship with God. Whatever it is, you, you fill in the blank, whatever it is pulls you away from God, takes you away from Him. In our text, it was the bells, the sensual religion. And you come back and want to be restored to Him But you keep talking about that thing that pulled you away. Is it fair to say, now he knows everything. Is it fair to say that he can look in the deep recesses of our heart and he knows that we're looking kind of like Gomer with longing at that which pulled us away from him? That's why he says, I will remove even their name from your vocabulary. I was at First Baptist Church, Houston, Texas, years ago. Heard John Bassanio pray this prayer. He said, we're in the time of decision. He said, God, if there's someone here who's being, who is struggling with a sin and they don't have the power to put it down, I ask that you take it from them. I'll just tell you this. I had that sin. 
I was that person. John Bassanio prayed that prayer for me. And I felt a release that day like I've never felt. Because you see, God wants us to remove some things from our lives. And He'll help you. There's some things that have to be removed. There's some things, number two, that have to be regained. You see, God never takes away something without adding something better. Look down in verses 19 and 20. I love the way he, he uh, writes this. He says, And I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, steadfast love, and mercy, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Now, you know that word betrothal. It, 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 was, a, it was a Jewish term, and it was before marriage. And in the Hebrew custom, it was just as binding as marriage. Hopefully, you've gotten that from your Sunday school lesson. If you don't, let me just give you one little example. Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other, engaged to each other. When she found out from the angel that she was uh, expecting Jesus, and it says, and he was going to put her away privately, which means he had to divorce her privately because the betrothal was that strong of a connection. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's, uh, I'm going to betroth you to me. For the follower of Christ who's gone wayward, for the follower of Christ who's gone wayward, coming back home to the Father is sweet only if it's complete. I'll say that again. For the follower of Christ who's gone wayward, coming back home can be sweet only if it's complete. Some of the most miserable people, miserable people I've ever seen are those folks who left God and left His church. And they came back into the church and they gave Him a part of their life, but they still hung on to that thing out there. Here's the truth. They had one foot in the church, one foot in the world. They had one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. And they were miserable in both places. You see, the truth is, the things that we have to regain are, are that relationship with Him. You see what He wants to hear? He wants to hear us say, My Lord and my God. When you come back home, it can be a humiliating humiliating thing. In fact, I'm convinced the very reason that altars are not filled every Sunday is because we don't want to feel humiliated. But to come back home begins with an I'm not worthy attitude. Do you remember the prodigal son? I've mentioned that today a couple of times. Remember the prodigal son? When he came down, he already had his speech prepared because he knew that his father had every right even to kick him out and not let him own the place anymore. And he said, Father, I am not worthy. And you know what happened with you and God? If you come home and you say, I'm not worthy, the same thing that happened to the prodigal son with the father. When you come that way, he'll say, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf, and let's have a party. Because he wants us back home so bad. 
restoration. Some things have to be removed. Some things have to be regained. And some things have to be reconciled. Hello? Made right. It's a pipe dream for you to think that God just lets bygones be bygones and let sin be sin. Don't worry about it. Sin must be reconciled. I I love verse 21 when it says, In that day I will answer, declares the Lord. And what he's saying is that I will answer the accusations against my own. I'll reconcile it. The earth can hear me. It'll reverberate. I'll take care of it. I'll bring the new wine. I'll bring the new grain. And all creation will respond to my joy because that one which is lost has come home. I will return her to her land for crying out loud. I want my child home. That's what he's saying in the story. But may I just say this to you simply? When you return to God, he'll return to you. I understand theologically, I understand about the working of the Holy Spirit pulling us back. I understand about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all of that's right. But here's what I'm just going to tell you. I have never known an individual to come to God with an I'm not worthy attitude and him kick them aside. It's a matter that he loves us more than we love ourselves. He'll reconcile, reconcile our sin. He's waiting for us to come home, the last thing. Some things have to be removed. Some things have to be regained. Some things have to be reconciled. And there are some things in our lives that have to be restarted. Restarted. Can I just tell you something God won't do if you choose to come back home? He won't be a nagging spouse that every time you slip and fall... He'll say something like, I knew you'd never amount to anything. I knew you wouldn't get it right. He won't be one that just nags on your faults and flaws and failures. What he is looking for from us is a heart that he can speak into. And he says, you may have wandered off. You may have roamed. You may have not known my mercy. Well, you may have felt like you were not my people. But listen. Come home, you are now. And what we restart, we restart our time with Him. We restart our relationship with Him. We restart our fellowship with Him. And we say to Him what He wants to hear, and that is those words that I said earlier. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are my Savior. You are my all. That's God's desire. For those who go wayward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you spoke into our hearts and lives. And I pray if anybody's here who is wayward. I pray that through your word, even this day, that they've returned to you. And I pray that they're ready to restart their relationship, their daily walk with you. Father, you love us. Help us respond to your love. In Jesus' name I pray.